morning, Transformation Church. It's good to see y'all this morning. Hope y'all are doing good on this Sunday morning. Hey, Aiken, thanks for waving at me. Hope y'all are doing good. Uh, hope y'all had a, a good weekend. Let me log in my computer. Um, good to see y'all. Hope y'all are good. Um, hold on. Here we go. All right, we're here. We're going to be continuing in Romans 8, as uh, Matt told us. We're going to be in Romans 8. Uh, 12 through 17 today. Last week we were going through Romans 8, uh, 1 through 11, and we went through that, and Mike talked to us about that, and it was a a good sermon. Next week we'll be in Romans. We'll be in Romans for uh, maybe two more weeks after that, two or three weeks, and then uh, we'll be done with Romans 8. So hope you guys can make it to that. Let's get on here. Hold on. Usually it's signed in already. This is embarrassing. But last week we were in Romans 8, and Pastor Mike talked about how we are freed from our sin. We're freed from uh, the guilt of sin, and that comes with that uh, through Christ Jesus. Um, And how he frees us from the guilt guilt and shame, how he frees us from sin, how he frees us from being slaves to the sin. And he talked about that, and he talked about how the same spirit that... uh, raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives inside of us. So we have that spirit living inside of us. That's what we talked about last week. And this week we're going to be talking about, it's going to build off that because, you know, as we know, Scripture, it builds with one another. So you don't just come in, you don't read, you know, Romans 8, 1 through 11, and then you're done. You know, it, it builds off one another. That's the way it was written. That's the way we ought to study it, right? So that's what we're doing with this this series. We're going to be in uh, 12 through 17, as I said. So as, as humans, even as Christians, these bodies that we have, they're mortal. They don't last forever, right? You know, my family, we have bad knees. Everybody says that. And they say, you know, bad knees run in our family. And I say, well, nobody runs in our family because we got bad knees. You know, that's what, I, that's what I say. But nobody runs in our family. We got bad knees. But as Christians, you know, we're not exempt from having these mortal bodies, these bodies don't last forever. We see that. Um, we don't have to read Scripture to know that our bodies don't last forever, but Scripture also tells us that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God told them, he said, from dust you were made, from dust you will return because of their disobedience. We look at uh, Romans uh, 5 chapter, sorry, Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Uh, it says, through one man sin into the world and death through sin and thus Death spread to all men because all sin. So even as Christians, we do still have these mortal bodies, but but as Christians, we do have we do still have eternal life, which it does seem kind of contradictory. I'm sitting here telling you, you have a mortal body, but you have eternal life. We have this promise found in John 3:16. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're gonna have eternal life. You shall not die, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so what that is, is that those that proclaim Christ as their Lord and Savior, a righteous standing has been secured between that person and God their Father. And it's not their righteous standing. It's not their righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness. His perfection has been transferred onto that person because they are a follower of Christ. They say, I proclaim Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I believe that God raised him from the dead. I'm a follower of Christ. And Jesus' righteousness is transferred onto that person. So whenever God looks at them and sees them, he sees Jesus' righteousness. So because of that, we have that promise that we saw last week in Romans 8.1, and it's become the theme for this church, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ. It's because of Jesus' righteousness transferred onto us that we have 
that promise. Without Jesus' righteousness transferred onto us, there wouldn't be any of us found in Christ. There wouldn't, there'd be condemnation for all of us. But because of Jesus, because of his, the life that he lived, because of his death on the cross, and because of his resurrection, because of that, because we put our faith in him, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ. So Christ, he frees us from that guilt and shame. He frees us from the penalty of sin, which is death. We have that eternal life. And he frees us from being slaves to our flesh. We no longer have to serve the flesh. And because God has the same, he's given us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, because of these things, it leads in to what we're reading this week. So that's what we talked about last week. Here's where we're going to be uh, this week. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. If you're able, please stand as we read God's word. Starting verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For if you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Y'all can be seated. So we saw right there, verses 12 and 13, we are no longer slaves to our selfish desires. We're no longer, we call it being a slave to the flesh. We see in uh, James's letter, he wrote, our selfish desires, that's, that's why we sin. He says, when, when you are tempted to sin, no one is to say that God is tempting me because God does not tempt, nor can he be tempted, but every man is tempted by his own desires. We're, we sin because we have these selfish desires inside of us. Um, you know, whether that's a desire to make more money or that's a desire to uh, put yourself in a better position to be looked up to, to be admired, respected by others, those aren't bad things but the desire for them leads us to do bad things or tempts us to do bad things. That's the root of our sin, right? We want more for ourselves. We want better for ourselves. I want this for me. You know, I want, uh, that, I want that job. I want, you know, that house. I want that person's family. I want the, the respect that he commands when he walks into a room. You know, like there's some people, they walk into a room, and it's like, okay, now the party can start. You know, you, know, you, know, you want that. You know, we, we want that. And those aren't bad things to want. Those aren't bad things to obtain, but the desire for them can lead us to do bad things. So what does this look like in your life? Well, if you're a student, it may look like you got a quiz every Friday and you're not doing too hot on them. But Billy Bob over there, he's doing really good on them. And you're like, you know what, Billy Bob, he always does so good on these quizzes. I'm going to go and I'm going to sit next to Billy Bob and just take a little peek. Your desire was to do better on your quizzes because maybe you... Maybe you want to graduate. Maybe you want to get a degree to do what you feel like God's calling you to do. That's great, right? You should want to do that. But your desire led you to do something wrong. You cheat on your quiz. Maybe you're not a student. Maybe you're somebody else. What, what does that look like in everybody's life? Well, maybe at your job or at church or at uh, your favorite coffee shop, you see there's a group of people that you want to be friends with. You want to fit in with these people. You want them to like you. You want them to... You know, everybody wants to have friends. Nobody wants to be a loner, right? And you, you see these people, and you walk up to them trying to, trying to be friends with them, and they're just trashing Billy Bob over there because he's a nerd for getting good grades. I don't know, whatever it is. They're trashing Billy Bob, and you want to fit in with these people. So maybe you, 
You know, maybe you just join in on that because you want to fit in. Your desire was to fit in. Your desire was to have friends. That's not a bad thing, but the desire led you to do a bad thing. So that's something that we, we all do. But thankfully, you know, that's our selfishness. That's our, not, not thankfully, that's our selfishness. Sorry, I changed my thought there. That's our selfishness that tells us to do things for ourselves. But thankfully, Jesus frees us from our selfishness. He frees us from being slaves to our selfishness, and he allows us to be humble. We saw uh, Matt talked about it a little bit. You know, like we're no longer slaves to our flesh, slaves to fear. How should we return to any of that? We see the same thing in Romans 6, 2. Paul writes, how shall we who have died to sin live in it any longer? Whenever you're freed from sin, how shall we return to that sin? How should we do it? Obviously, he's, he's asking a question like emphatically, no, you should not return to that sin because you've been freed to something much better, which is humility, which is walking in the spirit. We see uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 17, Paul writes, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So we have the spirit inside of us, the spirit, whenever we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and fills us, and that allows us to be humble. That, by the spirit, we put to death the works of the flesh. So that's the first thing I want you guys to take away this week, is to reject selfishness and let the spirit lead you into humility. When we walk in the flesh, we do what we want to do. But when we're led by the Spirit into humility, we put aside what we want to do in order to submit what God has for us. And we call that walking in the Spirit. And that's, you know, that's kind of something we say at church, like, hey, you just need to walk in the Spirit. And it's true, it's really good, but it's also kind of like a, a Christian term that if you try to tell that to somebody that's not a Christian, you try to describe that to them, it's going to sound a little you know, weird, because sometimes we don't always define the things that we say. We just say things a lot. So walking in the Spirit, what that kind of looks like, we see a picture of this in Galatians 5, 19 through 23. Paul contrasts walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. He starts with walking in the flesh, which is basically just serving yourself, doing the things that you want to do. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul says that the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you look at this just laundry list of things that Paul lists that is serving the flesh, those are all about me, 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 and things that I want, right? All these things are things that people do to benefit themselves, the things that they desire, the things that, you know, they want to do, things that put themselves in a better position. And then he contrasts that with walking in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit is going to be the inevitable overflow of the fruit of the Spirit by the indwellment of the Holy Spirit in you. So whenever you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells in you. You become a Christian, become a follower of God, Christ God, He fills you with his spirit, and you become a follower of God. And the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the spirit, is what the Holy Spirit bears, right? Think about apple tree. The fruit of an apple tree is an apple, and apple is what it produces. So the fruit of the spirit, we see uh, 22 and 23, is love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, patience, you know, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So those are the things that the spirit produces, so when the Spirit's inside of you, the Spirit should produce those things in your life because there is an inevitable overflow of the fruit of the Spirit by the indwellment of the Holy Spirit. 
So that's what we saw in the first couple of verses. We're going to go down to verses 14 and 15. I'll give you guys a little reminder. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit, right? So we said the Holy Spirit fills you. And then there's the inevitable overflow of the fruit of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit that fills you is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. God didn't give you the Holy Spirit for you to sit back and, you know, live your life and, you know, you're a follower of Christ. You're like, all right, I'm going to turn my life around. And then, you know, you, you stumble back into that sin you committed back before you were saved. And you're like, I said I was never going to do that again. And, you know, now, you know, God... You know, I've lost his love. He's going to strike me down. You know, that's, a, that's fear. That's, and a lot of people, you know, we all struggle with that at some point, I think, in our life is that we think um, based off our action that God's going to love us any less or based off our actions to love us anymore. Actually, Alex and I were talking about that the other day because he was preparing for a Wednesday night sermon is that your actions aren't going to make God love you any less or anymore. He just loves you perfectly already. And so... Rather than looking at it as a spirit of fear, we need to look at it as a spirit of adoption because that's exactly what it is. And what does that mean for it to be a spirit of adoption? It means that God wanted you, that God chose you, that he wanted you to be his son. And he wanted you to be his daughter. So as children of God, you know, we, it, it does come with perks, I guess you could say. It comes with things that we, we receive. Um, the first thing that I would say is just that it's a special relationship with the God of the universe, right? And it's not just some, God is not just some distant, far-off being up in the clouds looking down at us. You know, I think we have that picture of God sometimes. He's just up there looking down at his creation, just watching, kind of like, you ever been in an airplane, everybody looks like little ants or anything? You know, I think, you know, we kind of get that picture of God sometimes, but that's not what it is at all. He's a perfect and loving father, and we can approach him as a perfect and loving father because we are his children. We also get a local family and a worldwide family. This church right here, this is the local church. That's our local family. And then all the Christians spread across the entire world from east to west, north to south. That's a worldwide family. We're all made one in Christ because we're all sons and daughters of God. That means we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why I call each other brother and sister in Christ. That's why we do that. So we're all a family and we ought to act like it, right? This local church should be a family. We should love one another. We should encourage one another. We should take care of one another. We should um, hold one another accountable. We should do the things that a family does. We should do life together. We should know what's going on in one another's life. And then obviously you can't do that as much with the worldwide churches because they're so spread out, but the best you can, you could, you should, well, you should love them by doing things for them, but you know, you're obviously not going to be able to know every single follower of Christ. But, you know, you should do your best to get to know people that, and be a family. And God, it says in uh, verse four, or yes, 15, that we didn't receive a spirit of bondage. Because our relationship with God is not merely that of a master and a servant. And, yes, we can, we can view our relationship with God as the master and servant because God's our master and we are to do as he says. But that's not all... That's not the only way to describe a relationship with God. It's not merely that, but it's also that of a father and a son, a father and a daughter, a father and a child. We are children of God. Just as we read last week in verse 9, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, 
then you belong to Christ. That's where we get the promise of Romans 8.1, that you are found in Christ. There is therefore no, now con- no condemnation. So you're found in Christ. You have the spirit in you. You belong to Christ. Just like we read that last week in verse 14, we read this week that if you are led by the spirit of God, then you are a child of God. And God is a perfect and loving father to his children. That's the second point I want you guys to take away today. God is a perfect and loving father to his children. And then we look down in verses 16 and 17. And it says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. The Holy Spirit, all right, so we, we've, we've kind of been going through like this process throughout this sermon. The Holy Spirit fills us, and then there's the overflow of the fruit of the Spirit within us because we're children of God. And now the Holy Spirit inside of us bears witness that we are children of God. It bears wit- so whenever we pray, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll pray to God as our Father. We'll say, you know, Father or God our Father, our Father in heaven, we'll say something along the lines of that. Whenever we do that, we're approaching God as his child and as he's our Father. But the reason that we can do that, we're the ones saying those words, but the Holy Spirit inside of us is the one saying, or the one in allowing that to happen. Because the Holy Spirit inside of us is the proof that we are children of God. So when we pray to God, saying, Father, you know, and we're asking for requests or just praying, talking about your day, whatever, you, whatever you're doing in your prayer, and we're praying to God as his son or his daughter, the Holy Spirit's right there with us saying, I'm the proof right here. Me being inside this person, this son or daughter, is the proof that they are your son and daughter because the Holy Spirit inside of you is the evidence that you're a child of God because those that are led by the Spirit are children of God. Those that are led by the Spirit walk by the Spirit. Those that walk by the Spirit have the overflow of the fruit of the Spirit. And the theme of the Holy Spirit kind of interceding for us is a theme that we're going to continue in Romans. I think it will probably be uh, not next week, but the following week. We see in Romans 8, 26 through 27, that the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as for as we thought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with our groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows that the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the third thing I want you guys to take away this week is that the Holy Spirit enables us to come before God as his children. Another, another result of being children of God is that we are heirs of God. We see that in verse 17, that we are heirs of God and our inheritance is God himself. Our relationship with God is what we get. It's, it's uh, what we inherit. We kind of see a picture of this in Psalm 16, 5 through 6. David was kind of on the same track as uh, Romans here. We see what he says. He says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, yet I have a good inheritance. And we see uh, in verse 17, or sorry, yeah, verse 17, that uh, we'll, if we indeed we suffer with Christ, that we will be glorified with him as well. And Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, just a few chapters earlier, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are lacking that glory of God, but one day we're going to have that glory of God. And that's through our union with Christ. So our union with Christ kind of picks up the slack for the glory that we lack the glory of God that we lack. And this is a little bit of a teaser for next week, I guess, but our union with Christ supplies us the glory of God that we lack. And because of that, 
no fear, no anxiety, no hard time, no persecution, no depression, none of that, none of that can be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. That's what uh, Romans 8, 18 says. That's what we're going to be in next week. I encourage you to come back for that so you can hear another great message, but that's where we're going to be. But uh, so what do we walk away, that's next week, what do we walk away with this week? Well, this week we want to walk away with this, to reject selfishness and let the Spirit lead you into humility. Because whenever we are serving the flesh, whenever we are um, just doing what we want all the time, we become enslaved to that. But Christ, he freed us from that, so how shall we return to that? That's what Paul says, how shall we return to what we've been freed from? And he didn't free us from that just for us to return to that. He didn't do that. He freed us from that so that we could walk in the newness of life, so we can walk by the Spirit. So put the flesh to death by letting the Spirit lead you into humility. Next thing I take away with this, and this is just something you can tell to any person. Any, this is any, if you ever want to encourage a Christian in any way, shape, or form, you should just, this is the number one way, or one of the best ways to do it, is just tell them that God is a perfect and loving father to his children. And that is just something that you can always encourage a Christian with, a follower of Christ, because that's something I think everybody needs to hear at some point or another. And the third thing I want you guys to take away this week is that the Holy Spirit enables us to come before God as his children. So like I said, God's a perfect and loving father to his children, and we're able to come to him as his children because the Holy Spirit inside of us is right there saying, yep, this one right here, he's your son, he's your daughter, I'm right here, I'm the proof that he is, or I'm the proof that she is, and that's what we're going to do. So the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, and the Spirit inside of us is the proof that we belong to Christ. And so if you're on the other side of that, you know, you're thinking that I can't come before God as he's a perfect and loving father to me because I'm not a child of God. I don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I, I can't come before God as a perfect and loving father. I'm not a follower of God. And what I'd like to do, if that's what you're thinking right now, is I'd like to encourage you to you know, come talk to somebody, whether that's me or Pastor Mike or the person next to you. Come talk to somebody what it means to be a child of God, what it means to have God as that perfect and loving Father. And we'd love to encourage you. We'd love to talk to you about it. And, you know, if you're not a child of God today, I'm, today is as good a day as ever to do that. So we'd, uh, we just pray for you. We'd love to encourage you and kind of just tell you what that means, uh, how to do that, how to go about that. But I'll pray for us, and Matt's going to sing uh, one more song, and then we'll be at liberty to go. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for just this church family that we got right here, this local family. Thank you for a worldwide family. And we, we pray that as we go about our weeks that you would just help us to reject selfishness whenever it rears its ugly head, God. And it's so easy for us to choose that because we just think about ourselves a lot. But we pray that you would just lead us with your spirit and that we'd walk in your spirit, walk alongside your spirit, God. We pray that as we do that, there would just be the overflow of the fruit of the Spirit, God, in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these things, God. We pray that you just help us to choose these things over the things of the flesh, like the, um, the envy, the jealousies, the, the uh, evil speech, all those things, God. We just pray you'd help us to just reject those and choose your Spirit. We thank you for the loving and perfect, for being the loving and perfect Father that you are in our lives. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that fills us and allows us to stand before you as a child, a son or daughter of you, God. And we thank you for that. And we pray for anyone in this room or anyone in this area, God, that just doesn't know you as a father, can't call out to you, Abba, Father, God. 
pray for anyone in this room that just doesn't have their spirit, your spirit inside of them, that today would be the day that you would call out to them and that they would respond accordingly. We thank you for this day, and we love you, and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.